Oh, I'm so glad to be here, and uh, I already have had quite a number of friendly conversations, and I expect to have a lot more before I'm done. And let's just uh, let's do a little confession together. Can we do that? Healing is not my idea. Come on. Healing is God's idea. I don't have to convince him. He's trying to convince me. Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but you can get healed tonight. <laughs> uh, I am so glad to, to be here. I, I told your pastor earlier, I can't think of any place I'd rather be than right here tonight. And serving Jesus with you, and I expect really good results over the weekend. And my object is not just to, uh, you know, just to see people healed, but also to, as your pastor said, to... Um, leave something here, leave some encouragement with you that you can do this kind of ministry. And before I, I feel like before we're done, uh, particularly tomorrow, uh, what we'll have is a lot of people who have not had the experience of feeling the anointing, feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit work through them as they prayed with someone will have that experience. And uh, they'll know that the person at the other end has received something and that person will have a changed experience. That sound good? And some of you who are more advanced, and you, maybe if you've already had that experience, hopefully we can help you get more consistent at it. I have been uh, involved with healing ministry, really, uh, from the beginning of my Christian walk in one sense. And I was saved in a coffeehouse ministry in West Germany in 1972. Uh, YWAMers, Youth with a Mission, led me to Jesus. And um, I was 23, uh, 22 years old, 20, nearly 23 at the time. And I was baptized in the Spirit the same week that I received uh, Christ as my Savior. So I really never had the experience of really not knowing what, that, what that's like. So the gifts of the Spirit were, uh, were always theoretically part of my experience. Of course, we, you know, because we were charismatic, we spoke in tongues. And we saw, uh, had prophecies happening occasionally in this coffeehouse ministry. I, I didn't realize that, uh, that many places that believed in it theoretically didn't have that stuff happening. But uh, we did, and we had words of knowledge, and we had some deliverance ministry happening, casting out demons and some things of that nature. Particularly the revelation uh, gifts were present among us. And just, we saw just about everything happen reasonably consistently except healing. In fact, I would say to you that healing was probably the most unreliable, mysterious, unpredictable element of our experience. Does that sound familiar? And uh, I have to say that that was the kind of the way it was uh, for 20 years, uh, for two decades uh, as I ended up in the ministry myself. I had one or two people healed each year, things that I could point to and, you know, give you a testimony where I knew that some, God had done something in the circumstance. And I could tell you some of those stories. Some of them were really miraculous. However, uh, I would pray for someone and it would happen usually as a result of a word of knowledge, uh, our revelation, a dream, some way where I came to know what the will of the Father was through that means. And quite frankly, I thought that that's the way it had to happen. And so if I didn't have a revelation, if you stood in front of me, you had some particular need, uh, I believe healing was possible. But the truth was is that I laid hands on you. If something didn't happen pretty quickly, I didn't know what to do after that. In fact, uh, the first two or three minutes I was praying to see something happen. If it didn't happen at that point, the next two or three minutes I was considering how to get out of this situation gracefully. <laughs> I'm just being honest. That's the truth, you know. And I didn't know any better. In fact, I'd been to all the conferences. I'd read all the books. And quite frankly, no one had really ever taught me uh, 
in a practical way to pray for the sick. And I'd sat under some really good leaders at different points, and yet I don't think that they knew. I think, quite frankly, uh, there was a a widespread ignorance of how to do this. And uh, even those who seemed to be doing it were few and far between, and it was somewhat hard to duplicate their methodology. And uh, so... uh, after 20 years of doing that, I was, in the, I was a U.S. Army chaplain, and I was retiring from the chaplaincy. I'm making a lot of years go by in a quick amount of time here. I'm just focusing on healing. But um, I was retiring from the chaplaincy in 1992. At the end of 92, in 93, I ch- retired. But I was praying about what it, the Lord would have for my future, praying about my ministry or what it would contain in the future. And the Lord said something to me unexpectedly. He asked me a question. He said to me, why don't you receive me as your healer in the same way that you receive me as your Savior? Now, the question caught me by surprise for, because I was not really praying about healing. In fact, I didn't really at that moment have a healing need. But uh, when God asks you a question, one thing you can be absolutely sure about, he already knows the answer. But I had no clue. In fact, I didn't understand the question. In fact, I kind of reflected back to the Lord, Lord, I don't really understand this. I believe in healing. I believe healing is possible. I've even seen healing. I don't understand why, what you're getting at. So as I thought about this question, and I did over the next few weeks, uh, knowing that I really needed to be able to answer it, um, I analyzed the question. Why don't you receive me as your healer in the same way? That was the phrase that kind of stuck out at me. In the same way that you receive me as your Savior. And I began to you know, analyze what I believed about healing. Now, I don't know about you, but this is the way it happened for me. I heard the good news about Jesus Christ, what he had done for me. I believed it to be true. I received Christ as my Savior, and then I experienced something. Let me say it again. I heard the good news. Someone shared the good news with me about what Jesus had done for me. I believed it to be true. I received Christ as my Savior, and then I experienced something. This happened over several weeks, actually. But I realized that I was not approaching healing in the same way. And that's what the question seemed to indicate. Because I did believe that when Jesus died at the cross for my sins, he also died for my sicknesses. He bore our pain, carried our sorrows. By his stripes, we were healed. Turn to somebody and say, it's already done for you. See, it's already done. But I realized that I was not approaching in the same way because if I didn't feel healed, I didn't think of myself as being healed. And yet, I understood that I was saved even when I didn't feel saved. In fact, some days, you know, in fact, today was one of those days. Some days I have to have two cups of coffee to feel saved. How about you? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but I know my salvation is not based on caffeine in my my blood. (laughs) It's based on what Jesus has done. And so I have learned over a period of time to walk with the Lord based on faith in what Christ has accomplished for me, that my life is hid with Christ and God, that my salvation is not dependent on what I feel. I'm a, I've been off the roller coaster for a long time in that area. I am not saved based on my feelings. I'm saved based on what Jesus has done. However, I realized that I was being inconsistent because if I didn't think of myself as being healed, I, I mean, uh, uh, as, uh, as healed, I, if I didn't, I never thought about Uh, healing in the same sort of way. If I didn't feel healed, I didn't think of myself as being healed. So I said to the Lord that day, so I finally figured this out, I think I understand your question. 
And today I receive you, Jesus, as my healer in the same way that I received you as my Savior, and that's by faith in what you did for me at the cross. Turn to somebody and say, Jesus is already your healer. See, he's already your healer whether you have it or not. See, it's already done. He's already your healer whether you have it or not, whether you've experienced healing in your body, whether you've got that miracle or not. He's already done in Christ. Already, Father's already said yes to you. It's a matter of receiving. So, uh, now, I had chronic problems in those days. Uh, from the time I was nine years old till this period of time, I was retiring from the military, so I was middle-aged. Uh, I was... Uh, I had chronic problems with sinus infections. In fact, I had one sinus infection after another, sometimes lasting months. I mean, I, I would go to the doctor and get medication, um, and uh, sometimes the medication would work, sometimes it wouldn't. I alternated Tylenol and aspirin to deal with pain because sometimes it, I felt like my head was on fire because of a sinus infection. Sometimes I'd get it on both sides. When I was in high school, uh, I got a sinus infection, strep throat, mononucleosis all the same time they had to hospitalize me. One thing would lead to another, and, and it's like my system was always being assaulted by these sinus infections. And as a military officer, I just had to function. I had to get up, go to work. I had to get out there and run with the troops. You know, I just couldn't lie down and, and die like I felt like I was supposed to. You know, so uh, here I am, theoretically, I believe in healing, but I am not experiencing it. Does that sound familiar? You know, personally, I was not experiencing much of it. And so uh, about two weeks after I do this business of confessing Jesus as my healer, guess what happens? Get a sinus infection. And uh, for, but for the first time in my Christian experience, I approached it differently. I looked to Jesus. I looked to the cross. I began to believe that it was mine already. I wasn't trying to get something from God. I believed it was already mine. I wasn't trying to convince God to do anything for me. I believed it was already mine. You don't have to convince him. He's trying to convince you. Well, I went 10 days with no change. In fact, it got worse. Anybody ever been there? And on that 10th day, I did something I highly recommend. I reviewed what I believed. Because everything in my body, everything in my senses was saying, this isn't working. Ever been there? Oh, gosh, yes. I, I've been there a dozen times in my Christian life, you know, standing on some sort of promise, and it looks like the opposite seems to be happening. You know, believe me, hold on when, it's, when you're there because uh, that's, where, that's where faith meets the road, okay? Hits the road. In any case, uh, I, re- I evaluated on that day, and I was pretty ill, feeling pretty bad, and I evaluated then that day just what I believed. You know, and I came to the conclusion, here I stand. This is what I believe. Jesus is my healer. The work is already done for me despite how I feel. Despite my symptoms, I am healed because of what Jesus has done. It's mine. And I went from in one moment of time being very ill to being very well. And I've never had a sinus infection since then. My wife saw that this worked for me. By the way, I had a couple other issues. I had a trick knee that uh, sometimes would give me trouble when I was running. And so I applied the same truth to that, and it just went away really quick. I mean, it's you know, a matter of days. I had no problem with my knee. 
I had a problem with an elbow. I applied the same truth. Jesus, you're my healer. It's already mine. And it just disappeared. You know, I never had problems with my knee or elbow since then. Well, my wife, I was, of course, I was talking to her about what was happening here. She said to herself, if this works for Roger, it'll work for me. <laughs> yeah, why not? She knows I'm a rascal. If it works for me, if Jesus will do something for me, he'll do it for her, see? And see, the truth is, is that God is not a respecter of persons. King James' way of saying what? He shows no favoritism. If it'll work for one of us, it'll work for all of us. God is a good parent to us. If he's willing to do for one of us, he'll do it for all of us. Turn to somebody and say, you're a rascal, but you can get healed tonight. <laughs> in any case, uh, my wife had really severe problems with asthma. In fact, she couldn't go up and down stairs without stopping and trying to catch her breath. In fact, she took asthma, uh, asthma medication, steroids, had to take shots sometimes because it was that bad. Just couldn't breathe. And she would use inhalers and... Uh, so she decided that she was going to receive healing of her asthma. The same approach, going to Jesus, believing the work was done. She would approach the Lord. I would pray with her, and she would be much better after we'd pray. Her symptoms would disappear almost entirely, only to come back in a couple days. And uh, we would pray again, keep coming back to the Lord. Basically, over and over and over again, we did this. Six months into doing this, I would say to her, her experience over that six months was three steps forward, two back. Three steps forward, two back. But by six months into this, her experience began to change. It was three steps forward, one back. And she was off steroids entirely, which caused her some other problems. And by the time a year had elapsed, she was completely free from asthma, has never had asthma since. Well, we began to apply this truth in our family life. In fact, uh, it was my kids were getting, you know, during their early years when they would get the typical childhood diseases. I have to, have to admit to you, even though theoretically I believed in healing and I was a minister of the gospel and had seen some healing, a little, you know, I would, I'd lay hands on my kids when they were hugging the toilet and throwing up, you know, and nothing much would happen. And boy, that was so disappointing and, and so puzzling, you know, why I couldn't get it working. I know now why I couldn't get it working. I was looking in the wrong place. I wasn't looking to Jesus. I was looking at them. I was looking at myself inwardly. And I wasn't qualifying myself because of what Jesus had done. I wasn't qualifying them. Today, somebody stands in front of me. I don't care where they've been, what they've been doing. They qualify because of what Jesus has done. And I expect Jesus to do something for them. In any case, um, we begin to see healing in our family. Well, about that same time, I, I uh, began to realize that if this one change had made this much difference in what I was experiencing in my family and personal life. There may be other things I didn't understand. You always do what you've always done. You'll always get what you always got. If you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. See, the problem is I didn't know what I didn't know. But I decided to find out what I didn't know. And I highly recommend a place to look where you're trying to figure out what you don't know is the Bible. <laughs> and so I decided I would do a study for myself of all the healing passages from Genesis to Revelations. And I'm, I'm seminary trained. I know a little Greek, you know. He runs a delicatessen down the street. You know, the <laughs> I'm dangerous. I'm, you know, I know enough Greek to be dangerous with it, but I know how to use the tools and and so I started working through, through the Hebrew passages and eventually ended up, found myself in the New Testament because, you know, there's not that much healing in the Old Testament. 
But when you get to the New Testament, wow. All of a sudden, you realize 4,000 years of Old Testament history. In 4,000 years of Old Testament history, there's not one week equal to one week of the ministry of Christ. Amazing difference and dynamic in the ministry of Christ. And he's teaching 12 ordinary men to do his ministry and 70 more later. Not special people, anointed ones. He's taking guys off the street who are willing to follow him. We would see a big difference, you know, than, than anointed ones who were called to live out their whole lives in service. These are guys who were very, they were blue-collar guys. I suspect that Peter could curse a blue streak before he met Jesus. What do you think? Ordinary folks, rascals, turn to somebody and say, you qualify. <laughs> And I didn't know it was going to work out this way, but this is what happened. I found myself in the New Testament, studying the New Testament in great detail, opening up those passages, looking at all these healing events in the New Testament, taking them apart, putting them back together, meditating on them. And by this time, I had retired from the military, so I had, I had some time to do that. I was teaching college, uh, teaching theology in a college at the time. So I had quite a bit of time during the day to do this. I probably averaged six or seven hours a day just studying those healing passages. And um, this went on for two years. I didn't know it was going to be two years when I started. I didn't intend for it to be two years, but that's what happened. And as that began to happen, I found myself, my inward nature being changed by that. I discovered a lot of things that I believed to be true about healing, I couldn't find them in the ministry of Christ. They just were absent. They just weren't there. Many of the ideas that I heard charismatic folks share about healing were absent in the ministry of Christ. It just wasn't there. Not only was it absent in some cases, but what Jesus did seemed to contradict those ideas. And I began to realize that Peter and James and John, Mary, those who were traveling with Jesus on a regular basis and seeing them, that's not what they would have believed. That's not what they would have understood. It was like I was looking over the shoulder of Jesus and James and seeing you know, all the disciples and seeing Jesus in the way that they saw him. And boy, did it make a big difference. I began to... Uh, I, I had written a book, uh, I was working on a Ph.D. program at the time, and I'd written a book, uh, actually it was my thesis for my Ph.D. program, and it, I ended up publishing it as a book, and it was popular in some circles. And so I began to get invitations to speak on this particular subject. It wasn't especially about healing, although it had a little section in the book about healing. And so the pastors, I guess, assumed that I knew something about healing, and interestingly enough, because they made the assumption and I was learning at the same time, we were kind of on the same wavelength. And sometimes they would open the door for me in one of these services by saying, why don't you let Brother Roger pray for you? And so I began to have opportunities to pray for people outside my own family and my own friends and so on. And to my amazement, this change of chemistry, inward chemistry, began to produce real results. I was looking to Jesus as their healer. And I began to see about 25% at that point, about 25, 20 to 25% of the people I was praying for were getting healed. I saw people out of wheelchairs for the first time. I saw people healed of cancer. I saw people healed of chronic pain, sometimes 30, 40 years of being in chronic pain. People who were lame in various different kinds of ways, all sorts of things. And believe me, it was exciting stuff. And uh, in fact, I began to see about 15 or 20 people 
healed a month. Now, keep in mind what I was experiencing for 20 years, even though I theoretically believed in healing, it was one or two a year. And now I'm seeing 15 or 20 a month. How much? Do the math. That's more than 200 times as much healing. And it really got my attention. And so it just made me all the more want to see what was in the ministry of Christ because it was changing everything. And so much of what I had been taught was just disappearing and being replaced by what Christ had taught his disciples, what I was seeing in him. And believe me, what a huge difference it began to make. And over the next two years, as I was meditating on the scriptures, I began to see the percentages of people get, uh, in our ministry get, go way, way, way up. And uh, there's more to share in that whole realm, but I want to say to you that I believe that you can learn to do healing ministry by simply seeing Jesus. That that's the key. That's how I learned to do it. I believe that we have seen uh, conservative... I believe, by the way, I believe we, we present ourselves as a low-hype or no-hype ministry. Uh, no-hype, because I believe hyping things is lying. It's, you know, and I don't believe that anybody needs to hype anything. If, they, if, they, if, you, if you have it working, you don't have to need to hype it, Right? We believe that we've seen conservatively seen 20,000 to 25,000 people healed since those days. And we've seen just about everything you can imagine. I believe in most places I go, we hit uh, 85 to 90% of the people we pray with either get, a, get completely healed or at least get a good start on their healing. Things change for them. And I have no reason not to believe that that will be true here. That sound good? Yeah. If you'll turn in your Bibles tonight, I want you to look with me in John chapter 6. Just for a few minutes, I want to talk a little bit about some of the keys that we have discovered in the area of healing ministry. There's an interesting question here that, that the observers of Jesus, in this case, not necessarily his disciples, but those who were observing him do the miraculous works, ask Jesus an important question in John 6, 28. They, they said, therefore, to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? Good question. What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, they're asking this question to Jesus because the context, he has just done the feeding of the 5,000. He's just done this amazing miracle. And so they're asking him this question. How do we do what you're doing? How do we get involved in this miraculous thing that you're doing? Now, Jesus gives them, a very specific, he gives them an answer here, which he expounds later to his own disciples, but he's not giving them all the details. Here, he says to them, Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, if you would have asked me 30 years ago, 19, in the early 70s, how do you do healing? I probably would have said, Something like this to you. Well, you do it through faith in Jesus Christ. However, that was not enough. In fact, I had faith in Jesus Christ, and I believe that God healed. However, I did not have it working. That was not enough. Generic faith in Jesus as healer was not what, I don't believe it's what Jesus is talking about here. This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, I believe that American Christians, when they get their minds wrapped around this particular truth I'm about to bring you, 
And one other truth, that they can get healing working, and not just healing, but they can get their prayers answered on a regular basis and so on. But the first part of this truth, this is the work of God that you believe in him, in Jesus Christ, whom the Father has sent. Now, the first part of this thing, most of us already understand. We believe in Jesus. But the last part of it, whom the Father has sent, may be more significant than most people will give it credit for. Now, in the church in America, things are changing, but it's been pretty much like I'm about to say, is that most Christians, most Christians, still the great majority of Christians today, have no clue what God's will is. They don't know. They have no clue what God's will is. And when it comes to healing, you can hear people, thankfully, you don't hear it as much, but you, you can hear people say, if it be thy will, O God, they might as well not open their mouth to say a thing because if you can't determine what God's will is, you can't pray in faith. You can't receive it by faith. So first of all, first thing, you've got to know it's God's will. And see, this particular verse says, whom the Father has sent. Now, Jesus repeatedly, through his ministry to his disciples tomorrow, when we do this seminar, I'm going to really show you those verses and various different things. But the Scripture says that he did a huge number of miracles and signs and wonders. In fact, if the, it says that if the, all the things that Jesus had done had been written down, not even the whole world could contain the books. In the midst of doing that, he said things like this to his disciples. He said, Watch. He said, when you see me, you see the Father. He said, I don't do these things on my own initiative. I only do what I see the Father doing. This is, I didn't come to do my own will, but the will of the Father. So here in the midst, he said those, those things over and over again to his disciples, in the midst of training these 12 ordinary men and the 70 more, in the midst of doing that, and as they were seeing these miracles, signs and wonders, what Jesus was saying is, what you see me do here is the Father's will. This work that you saw is not my idea, it's God's idea. And so they understood what the will of the Father is in a very different way than many Christians do today. You know what most Christians in charismatically oriented churches are trying to do? They're trying to pull the will of God out of the air. They're trying to get a revelation. That's not how Peter, James, and John understood the will of God, particularly in the area of healing. Well, how do they understand the will of the Father? They saw Jesus heal everyone in a multitude. The good, the bad, and the ugly all got healed. Turn to somebody and say, which are you? The good, the bad, and the ugly all got healed. Roger, are you saying, are you saying that Jesus healed criminals? Yes. See, when you begin to see the will of the Father expressed in Christ, see, if you'd said to Peter in that day, maybe God doesn't want to heal that man because he's an alcoholic and he's abused his body. Now he's got trouble. He's sick because he's been an alcoholic. Maybe God doesn't want to heal him. He's getting what he deserves. Peter would have scratched his head and said, where did you get that idea? Jesus healed many such men. See, they would not have tried to get a revelation about what God wanted to do. They understood the revelation was standing in front of them. His name was Jesus. He revealed the Father. He showed them what the Father wanted. See, that's so important because so many people 
are trying you know, trying to get a revelation is not strong enough. We see people who have words of knowledge all the time, you know, and they have trouble receiving healing. But when they see Christ revealing the Father, there's a foundation for their faith. And they stand firm on what Jesus has done. They stand firm on what he revealed to the Father's will. Then things happen. Back a few years ago, I was ministering in Australia, and uh, the uh, leader of this particular church uh, group, uh, it's a healing ministry there called the Father's House, he came up to me and says, Roger, he says, you see these four people that have walked in the back door back there? And I said, yeah. He says, well, there are four well-known witches in the area. The, one, the woman on the far left is kind of the head witch in the region. She channels spirits for the businessmen. What do you want to do? I said, not a thing. I can't think of a better place for them to be. I'm not afraid of witches, not at all. The witches, when I go to England, the, often the witches come to our meetings, and they are always very curious about what they, they love to see healing. They come up to me and talk to me about my aura. <laughs> and uh, when I ask them to interpret the colors they're telling me, you know, uh, they're always complimentary. They're not opposing. They're, and they'll take me out to lunch and want to talk to me about what PowerPoints, I think it's Hindu kind of thinking, what PowerPoints. And I said, only one. His name is Jesus. You know, and they're very easy to lead to Christ, by the way. Anyway, going back to the story in Australia, <laughs> they are. They're very easy to lead to Jesus, very easy to lead to. Now, we should not be afraid of these people. They're really good ground for the gospel. You know, we shouldn't be afraid of them at all. In fact, I'm writing a book. That a friend of mine gave me the title. I was really working on the title. And it's, uh, the, the title of the book is, Help, My Neighbor is a Witch. <laughs> should I move or invite her to dinner? <laughs> I think you ought to invite her to dinner and share the gospel with her. <laughs> Not to be afraid of them. In any case, uh, here this uh, four witches sit in the back. I preached a, ma- I preached a message that night, and you know about what Jesus wanted to do for him. And at the end of my, uh, at the end of my message, typically um, I do something we call a demonstration, and uh, we invite people up who are injured. We like bad backs or. Bad shoulders, bad knees, bad elbows, something, something that hurts when people bend it. We recognize that people, some people in the congregation may be sicker than the people we're demonstrating with, but we're, do, we're trying to pr- produce a visible effect. In other words, a person can't do something, we minister to them, and then they can do it. That, then people get to see something, and that helps people in America because many people have never really seen something happen. You know, so that's different, by the way. Things are changing in that realm, too. Lots of people things, see things happen now. But, but in any case, uh, so I did this demonstration that night. I said, is there anyone here that's really maybe got a really bad back and you're in pain tonight and you're tired of being in pain? You believe what I had to say, that Jesus will heal the sick and you're ready to receive a healing. You don't mind me using you as a demonstration up here? And, and guess, who's, guess who responds to this? Head witch. <laughs> She comes forward. By the way, let me just ask you a question. Is she a believer? I didn't ask if she was a Christian. I asked if she was a believer. There are some Christians who aren't believers. And there are some believers who aren't yet Christians. She responded to the gospel, didn't she? Is she a believer? From the perspective of the New Testament, the people who got healed in the multitude, she's a believer. 
She's responding in faith. Remember Jesus said to those people, they weren't yet Christians. He said to them, your faith has healed you. She was responding just like the multitude. People in the multitudes responded. So anyway, she comes forward. Now, the reason I'm telling you this story is if I didn't know what Jesus revealed of the Father's will, then I could think that I have to do a whole bunch of stuff with her before she'll get healed. You know, there are all kinds of theology out there, legalistic theology out there. It says you've got to get jumping, people jumping through hoops to get them healed. Not so. Jesus didn't teach his disciples that. He didn't teach that you had to have everybody renounce the occult or forgive everyone. So anyway, can you imagine me trying to minister to a witch and tell her, she, first of all, she has to forgive everybody? <laughs> Any case, I laid hands on this lady. Five minutes later, she's completely healed. By the way, she had really painful back. She couldn't sleep at night. I guess the devil doesn't heal his disciples, right? <laughs> she was taking pain medications. And by the end of the week, because of this healing, she and all her other witch friends are all saved. Uh, the, leader of the, uh, the leader of that particular group, he said to me, now that they're all saved, Roger, what did I do with them? I said, not my problem. I'm going back to the States. What do you do? You teach them to follow Jesus just like anyone else. You know? <laughs> Over the years, we've seen drug addicts get healed. We've seen witches get healed, as I said. Uh, Satanists on one occasion, we ministered healing to a Satanist. Kid had Satan tattooed on his, both his arms, and, but he had, a, he had some problems, and we ministered to him. He got healed. God is accepting of these people. What Jesus has done for them is enough. See? See, that's the important thing we've got to recognize. I've ministered healing to Hindus, to Muslims, to Buddhists, and often they become Christians, but not always. God's willing to even show them grace, even if they're not prepared yet to become Christians. That's very important for us to recognize that. And you have to have confidence that it's God's will for these people to receive something on the basis of the cross. See, it's enough for God. It needs to be enough for us when we're ministering to other people. That's why you can bring healing into any situation. We've seen backslidden Christians get healed. We've seen people living in adultery get healed. You know, God is obviously willing to heal rascals. Turn to somebody and say, you qualify. See? Some of us have been trying to get righteous enough to be receive healing. Well, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. God isn't going to give it on that basis. God isn't going to heal you because you're good. He isn't going to withhold healing from you because you're bad. He's going to heal you because of what Jesus has done. It's a very important truth that you got to, the focus needs to be on Christ and not on your own righteousness. You know, you can't, you can't somehow, uh, be, you can't somehow uh, be noble enough to receive a healing. Over the years, we have noted that sometimes people are trying to do that. Uh, you know, you learn things as you do this kind of ministry. You start hearing the same sort of comments. Over a period of time, I heard uh, particularly women uh, saying something like this to me. I, I want to be healed so I can raise my children for God. And whenever I heard that, almost always we noted that they had trouble receiving healing. It was a real noble cause. Or I want to be healed for the glory of God. That was another thing that we heard. When people said that, they almost always had trouble receiving healing. You know why Jesus healed people? 
Not once does it say he did it for the glory of God. You know why he did it? He moved with compassion and healed the sick. He healed them because they were in pain. They were sick because they needed to be healed. Did you ever notice in his ministry, one of those little details that sometimes it's people see, but they don't ever really put in, the, in their interpretation of what's happening, that Jesus often says to people not to say anything after he healed them. Don't tell anybody. Why would he do that if it was strictly for the glory of God? He did it because he knew that if they told people, they were being in trouble. He cared about those people. Aren't you glad that you serve a Savior that cares about you? Numbered the hairs on your head. Not counted them, numbered them. 746. Details. Knows the details about your circumstance and cares about you. If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, everyone say much more, how much more will the Heavenly Father give good gifts to them who ask? If you wouldn't want your children to have your condition and you would do all this in your power to help your children with it, then God will do much more to help you tonight. Does that sound good? Turn in your Bibles again to John 14. I mentioned earlier that here Jesus gives this explanation, the work of God, do you believe in him whom he has sent? He gave that to the, really the, those that were really weren't following him, but he gave a more detailed explanation of what I'm, this truth I'm talking about to his disciples, John 14. And the first part of this passage, starting with verse 1, is pretty familiar, but I want to focus on a little bit further down. But let's read the first part so you can get the context. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Verse 5, and Thomas said to him, what do you know about Thomas? Yeah, it's interesting that Thomas was not present at the first resurrection appearance of Jesus and therefore doubted that it actually had happened. And we, but interestingly enough, history tells us a little more about Thomas, that Thomas of the twelve was one of the least distinguished of the disciples. He didn't accomplish as much as some of the others. Now, the Gospel of John has been written was written, it was the last book of the New Testament written. It was written when John himself was over 100 years old. And he was living in the city of Ephesus. He uh, had long been released from the Isle of Patmos, where the Romans had imprisoned him, where he wrote the, wrote the Revelation. And here John already knows what's happened to all the disciples before him. They've all passed away. He's the only living one. So he knows the stories of each of these men. And he's picked out this conversation between Jesus, Thomas, and we're going to see another disciple here, Philip. And Philip, of the, all the disciples, with the exception of Judas, of course, was considered the least distinguished. And we're going to see this conversation between them. And I believe this conversation reveals something of what you and I need to know in order to have an ongoing, everybody say ongoing, ongoing. Reliable, reliable experience of the supernatural. If you're going to have an ongoing, reliable experience of the supernatural, you're going to have to see what Jesus teaches his disciples through these things, how he corrects these two men. Verse 5, And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you're going. 
How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If, I, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. But now on you know him and have seen him. So here Jesus, first of all, he points to the fact that he himself is the way. And that's a very important truth, by the way. Uh, uh, oftentimes uh, people focus on this verse when they're talking about leading people to Jesus. But they don't realize this, this verse has to do with Christian life, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. For the rest of your life, it will, Jesus will always be the way to the Father. Jesus will always be the way to the Father. He is the way which you're going to know the Father. And see, that's very important. I don't know if you have recognized this, but Jesus, but Jesus is visible in the Scriptures. You can see Jesus. And the Father's invisible. And the problem is, is that most people, again, in this culture, have no clue what God's will is. And the only way they're going to get that clue is by seeing that the Son reveals the Father. The Son shows us what the Father's like, the Father like the Son. It's a very simple truth, simplicity in itself, but a very profound, life-changing truth when it comes to understanding the will of the Father. The Father's like the Son. The son's like the father. Say that for me. The father's like the son. The son is like the father. Very important truth. And if we could go a little step further, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Christ. The Holy Spirit is like the son. The son is like the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit represents Jesus fully in the earth and does the things that Jesus himself would do. Has the same attitudes. The same will of God is being expressed through the Holy Spirit. You want to know what the Holy Spirit will do? You look at Jesus. That's how you discover that. Pretty simple but very important when we're trying to nail down what it is God wants to do for us. What was Jesus' first miracle? Turning water into wine. At a little place, Cana, Galilee, corner of Israel. What would happen if that miracle had not happened? Party would have been over early. Are you, Roger, are you saying that God's willing to do a financial miracle to extend a party? Yes. How many of you pray for parking spaces? You know, those of you who don't, you need to get a bigger God. If God is not able to give you parking spaces, you know, I, would never sit under, I would never sit under a ministry that can't get parking spaces from God. You know? If they can't get, you know, can't get God to respond to them at that level, what's the expectation of something serious happening in your life, right? You know, you need to get a bigger God. And, and Jesus did teach us to believe for those kinds of things. If you can't believe for the small things, you're going to have some trouble later on with the larger things, yes? More than 150 gallons of wine were produced in that circumstance. Now, what would the disciples have learned by observing this in Jesus' ministry? they would have learned that it doesn't require desperation or someone to be seriously ill or uh, without resources. Nobody was, nobody was dying in this circumstance. No one had, was missing a meal. See, what this should do for us, when we see this particular thing, we should see that God is willing to show us abundance, abundant grace, taking us way beyond need into, you know, provision so that we can have ability to help others around us. That's what the disciples would have seen. 
they would have seen that God's willing to show abundant grace in these circumstances. Everybody say abundant grace. grace. See, many people are waiting till they're desperate to receive a healing. They're trying to motivate God with their desperation. Why can't you get healed of that headache? That bad back? You know, what's wrong with that? God's willing to take care of the little things as well as the big things. In fact, if you get the little things working, when you face a big thing, you'll be prepared for it. I don't put up with pain in my body at all. Never. Because he bore my pain. And I, I mean, I applied, I was driving home from a meeting. I, was, uh, I don't remember exactly where it was, but I know the sun was shining in my eyes. And uh, the sun was going down, so I thought, you know, I'm getting a little bit of a headache from the sunshine in my eyes, so I'll just, just pull over, find a place, you know, a restaurant or something, and get some coffee and wait for the sun to get something to eat, maybe, and wait for the sun to go down. And then I caught myself saying, no, he bore my pain. And just went to the Lord. Pain disappeared. I continued to drive. We had a mattress. It had a, it was an inherited mattress. You know, some of you have inherited mattresses from different people. And had a little divot on both sides. (laughs) And I remember getting up out of that bed and, you know, my back being a little tight and feel, you know, I had to stretch it out a little bit. And I said, oh, it's just because of that mattress. And I said, but that's why my back's hurting a little bit. I said, no, hold on a second here. He bore my pain. And applying it to this small situation from that point forward, I never had problems with my back. See, don't wait till something is hugely serious, but rather receive what Jesus has done even now in the small things. Yes? Don't go, let this wig man go by and something little nagging thing and just postpone it to some other time. Don't let that happen. It's important that you receive from God in the small things. Because then your faith will be larger for the larger things. Yeah? Come on. I got, you know, I, I mentioned to you I got healed of my sinus problems, sinus infections. But last year, um, through a series of events involving something that was pretty serious uh, called a TIA, which is a, it's a precursor to a stroke, um, I ended up in an emergency room. And they told me uh, through a series of, uh, I actually went back to my own doctor, but uh, 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 it's a similar to a stroke except that plaque gets, a stroke is from plaque getting from your neck into your brain where it blocks the blood flow. That's, strokes are not caused by stress, by the way. They're caused by, by plaque. In any case, uh, what happened is plaque broke, broke away somehow or another and got in my eye. That's, that's what a TIA is. And it causes a visual disturbance. It was really crazy. I mean, I went blind. I went blind, and my, and my vision was backwards and all kinds of things. I mean, it really was very crazy. And I, thought, I was in a hotel room, and it started happening. <laughs> uh, being alone in a hotel room, and you're having a, uh, what appears to be a stroke or something, not a good place to be, by the way. And I tried to dial the phone, and I couldn't see the phone. My, my vision was all blanked out. And uh, by the way, that's the time when you want to be sure that you're saved. And I did to kind of review myself. Four spiritual laws, you know. <laughs> yeah, I went kind of, okay, let's see. I don't have anything to confess, Jesus. Thank you. But I, but I finally worked my way up to the, uh, the, uh, the, you know, the front part of the hotel and told the folks that something was happening to me. They called uh, 
EMT. By the way, I was praying for my own healing at the time. And uh, they came, and by the time they got there, it was gone. It was pretty much over. They went ahead and took me and did an EKG and did all sorts of things and then told me that what they thought uh, had happened was a, that I had TIA. And uh, in any case, uh, my doctor checked me out, got a spirit-filled brother, his doctor, and uh, he found, uh, he said, nothing wrong with my neck, no plaque. He says, I have arteries of, a, of an 18-year-old. And he said, but some plaque did break loose, and it appears they did some testing on me, and, it, and uh, it appears that it came through your heart. I had a congenital hole in my heart that was causing that. And I didn't realize, but it was causing other problems, too. I, I was carrying a little too much weight in those days. I'm still trying to lose some more, but uh, I've lost some. In any case, uh, when I would bend over, I'd be really dizzy, and I just thought because I was carrying too much weight. By the way, in any case, I, uh, he, he diagnosed it. He said, uh, Roger, it's not really operable at this point. It'll probably get bigger where we'll probably have to have an operation, you know, and it's life-threatening. You need to take blood thinners for the rest of your life, and or you're going to have a a stroke, and I said, because this, I don't understand exactly, but plaque will go through that hole and kill you, and uh, so I said to him, I said, you know, I, you know what I believe, he says, yeah, I know you believe in healing, I believe Jesus will heal you, I, I said, I, I'll take the prescription, because I believe, I, see, this is what I teach, if you need to take your medication until you receive your healing, you probably ought to do it, you ought to stay alive to get healed, Okay. <laughs> You know, we teach that when you, you quit using your medication when you need it no more. I mean, you really don't need it anymore, okay? You received your healing. You know, uh, God is not putting you to the test and saying you can't use medication. And somehow you're passing a test by not doing it. You're just being dumb if you're doing something life-threatening. You know, if you're doing something life-threatening trying to receive a healing, Jesus did not require people to quit using medication before they got healed. Never said anything like that at all. In fact, we've seen people take chemotherapy on the very same day they got healed of cancer. God is not requiring people to stop their medications in order to receive healing. In any case, uh, so I said, I'll take the prescription. If I haven't received my healing by the weekend, I'll fulfill it next, next week. And in uh, any case, I went to St. Louis. There was an evangelist that had traveled with me. We had trained in healing ministry. He, who arrived there, he lived in the area. And when I confessed to the audience that I had a healing need myself, a life-threatening healing need, he came up, he put his hand on my heart. It got really hot. And, which is a normal manifestation of healing, and my doctor can't find a hole in my heart anymore. Yeah. Hallelujah. Moving right along in the passage here. Verse 5, let's see. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. Now, I want you to hear what Jesus says to this man because he's correcting him. It's a very important correction. It's a correction, really, that could come to the, almost the entire American church from Jesus because the American church doesn't often get this. Jesus said to him, Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How do you say... Show us the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me. Otherwise, believe on the count of the works themselves. Verse 12, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me 
not in a generic way, but in the way that I'm describing. When you see me, you see the Father. When you see me, when you, the Father, you got to believe that I'm in the Father, the Father in me. So what Jesus is describing here is not just a generic believing in Jesus, but a specific kind of believing in Jesus. Here it is. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also. So when people get this particular truth, that when they see Christ, they see the Father, when they begin to understand the will of the Father in the same way that the disciples understood it, that's by seeing Christ. See, they understood what the will of the Father was by seeing him do it, by healing everyone in the multitude, by never turning anyone away, never suggesting that somehow that person was too sinful or undeserving. See, you know, the problem is, is that a lot of us really do recognize we're undeserving. Turn to somebody tonight and say, get over it. You're not going to get it because you deserve it. So your feeling is correct. You are undeserving. But God doesn't give it to you because you're deserving. That would be a reward. It comes as a gift. See? It comes as a gift. It is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of healing functioning. God gives it to you as a gift. It's his goodness and mercy and kindness. It's because of what Jesus has done. The, the, the debt that you owe God has been paid in full. You don't owe God anything except thanksgiving and praise. Your debt because of sin has been paid. I don't hold my kids in debt to me. They're going to inherit it anyway. Why would I? Doesn't make any sense to hold your kids in debt to you. Cancel it out, if you, because that's what God's done for you. Shake your head up and down, even if you don't agree with me yet. <laughs> It'll do you good. All right. Truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go to the Father. Now, some of the disciples really did do greater works in some sense than Jesus. Uh, there was one of the disciples, you may not be aware of it, but history says that the disciple named Andrew, which was Simon Peter's brother, was exceedingly supernatural. And see, the, the, gospel, uh, the gospels don't tell us all the details, of course, about what happened to these guys afterward. And the book of Acts only concentrates on two of the apostles, uh, Paul and Peter. And so we don't hear the stories about some of the others. But history does tell us these stories. Tradition tells us these stories. And one of the stories about Andrew was he was on one of the uh, Aegean islands, uh, in, uh, Greek islands, and uh, there had been a shipwreck. He was preaching on this, and, they, uh, and so they heard that, that he was there, and they pulled 40 drowned sailors up on the shore, and P, uh, Andrew uh, raised them all from the dead. 40 of them. Did Jesus, how many resurrections in Jesus' ministry? On the earth, there were three. Now, we know that Jesus has got quite a few more resurrections in store. Turn to somebody and say, you qualify. <laughs> That's right. So some of the disciples really did, through faith in Christ, do greater things than he did in that sense. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name. Everybody say, in my name. Amen. That is not a magical phrase that we tack on to the end of a prayer. 
What it really means is, because of what I have done, Father will answer you. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, the, the, the flip side of this thing, the first thing that you have to know, and I know your pastor's been preaching on this, so I'm preaching to the choir. First thing you have to know, it is God's will to heal you and everyone else you pray for. Whether you get it happening or not when you first pray or not, it is God's will. We need to get past that, never doubt that again. It is God's will. Christ revealed it to his disciples. They never would have had the idea it wasn't God's will. Second thing is, God isn't going to heal that person because they're a good person. He's going to heal them because of what Jesus has done in my name. See? See? When you begin to understand these two truths, these are the two truths that change people's prayers life. See, I can get answers to prayer, pretty, answers in prayer pretty quick because of these two truths. One, I know it's God's will to bless me, my family, in every area. He wants to do this. You know, I can point to the scriptures. I can declare what Jesus taught his disciples. So I know it's God's will. And the second thing is I know God isn't going to bless me or help me because of my righteousness or because of anything I've done. He's not even going to do it because of my need. He's going to do it because of what Jesus has done. So it's not about me, it's about Christ. I am greatly loved, but that is not enough to receive from God. I have to know it's because of Jesus. See, that Father's going to answer. Turn to somebody and say, it's because of Jesus. You're going to receive tonight because of Jesus. There's an old story. I'm going to stop right there. There's an old story about a woman crossing the ocean. She got halfway across the ocean. She ran out of food and water. She goes to the captain of the ship and tells him that uh, she's run out of food and water, didn't prepare for the voyage properly. And he scratches his head and says, didn't you know you could eat in the dining room when you got on board this ship? See, a lot of Christians have been living their lives that way. They didn't know there was a dining room. 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year, you can go to the dining room and receive because of what Jesus has done. And that includes healing. God provided your healing before you were born into the world. It's already done. See, it's already completed. Nothing for you to accomplish there. You just have to receive what Jesus has done. And you do that by simple faith. And let me describe to you faith real quickly. Tomorrow I'll do that in more detail. When Jesus said to those people who came to him, 18 times recorded in the New Testament, your faith has healed you. What was he describing? Simply one thing. They came to him for help. They came to him for help. They expected him to be able to help them. That's all they were describing. So you don't produce faith by trying to have it. You don't try to... You simply come to Jesus. That's faith operating. You simply come to him. That's all, that's all it is. And when somebody says, I have faith, I know that they're confusing something. Because when faith doesn't talk that way, faith talks about Jesus. It talks about him. When somebody says, I have faith, they're talking about themselves. Faith has an object outside of itself. It's the goodness of God expressed in Jesus Christ. Let me remind you, he didn't turn anyone away. He never said to someone they were too unrighteous to receive something. He never indicated that someone was just so far gone that he couldn't help them. Turn to somebody and say, you qualify.
Turn to somebody one more time and say, you can eat in the dining room. 